There's nothing like another dose of audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. Straight out of combat radio. And the guest for today's episode is one that rises above all the controversy that we have in today's world. He is a person that has lived the American dream, not just one Super Bowl ring, but four. It's a person that understands commitment. He understands love of country, love of profession, and love for his fellow veterans. This story, the story of Rocky Blyer and his book, Fighting Back, is one worth listening to, and we appreciate you being here today. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all before they burn it down. Our veteran guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio is one of the most inspirational athletes of our time. From the state of Wisconsin to the gridirons of Notre Dame University and the NFL to the jungles of Vietnam and back to the NFL again, this combat-wounded veteran story is one of extreme selflessness, great courage, and steadfast determination. His love of country, love for the sport of American football, and love for his fellow veterans is without question. I am honored and privileged to welcome today's guest on Straight Outta Combat Radio, U.S. Army veteran, NFL Hall of Famer, published author, accomplished speaker, and all-around outstanding human being, Mr. Rocky Blyer. Welcome to the show, Rocky. Hey, John, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's you know, great. I'm, I'm so glad to have you here. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, I know you're from Wisconsin and you ended up in Pittsburgh there, but my dad was from Pittsburgh. Uh, and so it means a lot to me to, to, be, to have you on the show today. But, you know, let's just get started with the Rocky Blyer story. Tell us about Wisconsin and uh, what it was like there and, you know, how you got to Notre Dame and, and the restaurant business. Tell us about those things. <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, so now I got to go back. It's been a long, you know, uh-huh. it's, it's been a long time ago. Back to Appleton, Wisconsin. I grew, I grew up there. When Appleton, Wisconsin, was about maybe thirty, thirty-five thousand people. Uh, it's in the midst of the Fox Cities. I grew up in the bar business. Uh, my father, my mother, opened up the bar in nineteen forty-five. I came around in nineteen forty-six. Um, and you know, grew up in a, in you know in a in a midwestern. Uh, town. Uh, we lived a block and a half uh, off of uh, uh, off of Main Street. You know, a uh, half a block down the road was uh, St. Joe's Catholic Church. That's where I went to um, uh, grade school. Eight years of Catholic grade school there. Then, uh, as the baby boomers moved uh, and started to grow, the new school started to pop up. A brand new Catholic school was built uh, in Appleton back in fifty. And so by 1960, I was a, a freshman there, uh, and then we established a whole new athletic conference with all the other schools that were built around that that, that area. Um, and uh, so we had a great coach, and I'm just I, I, so it was a great experience, one for me. But from an athletic point of view, we had a great coach by the name of Gene Torchy Clark, and um, who had been in the area 
coached at a, at a competing grade school and then got the high school job. Uh, but all of a sudden, magically turned things around in that my, my high school career, not because of me, but in my high school career, we had great athletes that uh, gelled together. Uh, we never lost a football game. We won the conference three years in a row. We were the number one ranked uh, football team in the state, basketball. Uh, we had won the, uh, uh, the state title by my junior year. We were the number one ranked basketball team uh, in the in the state at that time. And so, um, and so we had a great deal of success. But anyway, getting back into uh, into that whole network of uh, being in the Midwest, um, you know, things that um, the, the values that you have were hardworking. You know, it was really that area was uh, a mill town area, although it was paper mills, and it was down the Fox River, much like what I ended up with in, in Pittsburgh, all these small communities that had developed uh, from an ethnic point of view, down the rivers, working in the mills, and uh, and that was a part of my life because they would all come to the bar, you know, it was a pretty good deal, and because of what had taken place in high school, I got a chance to continue my education, and uh, got uh, I went to the University of Notre Dame. Played there during a period of time when Coach Era Parsegian was the brand new coach, unbeknown unknown to me and maybe a lot of people who came out of Northwestern, but all of a sudden turned the whole program around. And by my junior year there, at Notre Dame, uh, we had, were were were. Um, ranked as the number one college team uh, uh, in in the United States, and I became captain of the team my 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 senior year because of that success, because of their success. I mean, really, the team being part of that team, I get drafted into the NFL by the then lowly Pittsburgh Steelers. It's a highly touted 417th person picked in the draft that year. I was a 16th round draft choice, but Put things in perspective. There were 17 rounds. At least I was not the last guy picked. And, uh, <laughs> for the grace of God, I had uh, made the team that year, primarily on special teams. That was in 1968, uh, the fall of 1968. In 1968, there was a lot of other things that were taking place for, or within the 60s. Those of us who lived through it, uh, uh, the student uh, uh, movement was was uh, taking place. Vietnam was a topic. People were rallying against that war, and um, and a lot of my friends. Uh, it was a very unpopular period of time. Some got drafted. You know, someone in the service went to Vietnam. Uh, also, there was a civil rights movement that was taking place. So there's a lot of turmoil in this country from uh, the Vietnam uh, aspect and then from segregation and desegregation and southern schools and the south and uh, registers for voting and all this all this was taking place and so I come to Pittsburgh and uh, you know we only won two games all season in Pittsburgh but uh, towards that end of the, the, the that that season um, and uh, I got uh, I got my draft notification. Um, whatever slipped through the cracks uh, of however whatever the perception was of what should 
happen with professional baseball play. I mean, uh, football players, because a lot of people were um, getting into the reserve uh, units, uh, the National Guard. But as I told people, I said, as this was 1968, the height of the war, we had most people in Vietnam, 500,000 troops that were over there, um, and all the uh, escape hatch uh, and or um, uh, the, the reserves and National Guard were full, at least around here, and I got uh, I, I got my draft notification. Missed the last four games of that season uh, and got drafted. Went to basic training like everybody else's. Advanced infantry training, got my orders, go to Vietnam. I was in Vietnam uh, four and a half months uh, before uh, my unit ran into um, some heavy uh, um, firepower, and, and uh, I got wounded twice. Um, in the same day, I got uh, one shot through the left thigh, and then secondly, a grenade blew up to my right foot and on the inside. And, uh, ultimately, I spent nine months in the hospital and went through three operations. And um, The prognosis for me to come back, one, given my past experience of being the 417th person picked in the NFL draft, and that... <laughs> Uh, and then now being damaged and, and so on. Yeah, but you know you know what, though, Rocky? A couple things stick out here. I hear what you're saying about the 417th draft. and But you know what? You grew up, man, around hardworking Midwesterners. And also, man, you your whole sporting career up until then had been just winning. So, well, that's, yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, and it had been, and it had been winning, and so there's a certain, there's a certain expectation that was, you know, was set, or at least in my mind. You know, I think one of the driving forces, in, you know, is that, um, I never thought myself as a, um, number one pick, or, you know, as a, as a quote star. Um, as I tell people, the greatest football game I ever played in, I was nine years old, I scored 51 touchdowns in one afternoon. <laughs> I was in a couple of those, man, but I never went to the University of Notre Dame. <laughs> then my career went slowly downhill from there. But um, I, I guess you know, at the at the time, and driving force was that I wanted to play. I wanted to, I wanted to play sports in you know in college, and so um, um, so I, I I got that opportunity. And, and not that I was a star, but I played uh, amongst uh, on a team that elevated you to a position by winning, and so you get recognized for a contribution that you that you make to the team and I and I tell people that, you know, and so it's not so much being the number one and the number one draft choice or being an all American. It's what you've done or what the team's done. And people will recognize, you know, your talents somewhere along the line and that's what got me to uh, to Pittsburgh. Not on a, a high profile team. <laughs> they're the losingest team uh, from its inception in 1933, you know, up to that period of time, uh, they lost more games than any other team in the history of the NFL through those 40 years. Um, and so it wasn't a highly touted, you know, team or the expectation, but, but it allowed me to at least have a taste of what it was like to play in the NFL and, in the, you know, and that's what I wanted. And so even when I was in Vietnam, I was thinking about coming back and playing. Even when I got injured, I was thinking about coming back and playing. And so the whole driving force was just getting that opportunity, hopefully, to come back and play. And one of the things I learned during that period of time is that you can only do what you do. You can only do um, what that expectation is. The, the decision for 
me to play was out of my hands. I have to get myself prepared up to that point where I can be accepted uh, and maybe be invited to come back uh, and get through training camp. Um, and so uh, that was that was my f- focus point. Now, well, what was that transition like exactly? I know uh, yeah. I read where you lost a part of your foot actually, and you know you're a running back, man. That's like. That's your treads right there, man. We're going to clarify that. You know, I've heard that myself. So <laughs> that that was that was not that did not happen. Although I had damage, I had nerve damage. I couldn't move my 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 toes, and and so I had to work on a whole lot of uh, flexibility exercise and so on. But I, I really did not lose any part of uh, my foot damaged as it may be. But given all that, you know, you're still damaged and you're still trying to come back to make a team. So I got an, I, I, I got a chance to, to come back, uh, you know, so the, the Steel organization, Rooney family specifically, uh, and I, you know, allowed me to come back that first year in, in training camp, knowing that, well, you know, he's not going to make it, but, you know, <laughs> we'll give him a chance, we'll give him an opportunity, we'll give him a try. And so I hung on, I hung on, I hung on, I hung on. And Chuck Noll was the head coach, and this was uh, the fall of 1970. And you know, and so he released me as he should have, and and cut me because I wasn't going to be able to play. But the but the Steelers uh, in the Rooney family specifically said, "Hey, maybe there's something we can do. Uh, we'll have our doctors take a look at you. We're going to put you on the injured reserves list, uh, and and maybe you can have another operation. I had shrapnel still on my foot. Maybe we can get that out, and maybe you can come back and help." Because that was a pipe dream, but it gave me some hope and, 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 and gave me another opportunity in which I did have an operation. And, you know, I hung around that, that year, went to some meetings and, and so on, and I came back the following year. So I got another year of healing, you know, and, which takes time. And, and so I came back a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bad and so on. And that year I made the taxi squad which is now the developmental squad, as they say. Um, but, but that's all right. It was better than me. I was still kind of hanging around. Suited up for the last couple games. He had some injuries, played some special teams, but that was about it. And then came back again in 1972, and got a little bit bigger and stronger. Eventually, uh, in, 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 and made the team. Primarily because of special teams, and you know, and I was a, <laughs> I was a special, special teams kind of guy going down on kickoffs or doing whatever I needed to do to be able to make this team, and, and you know, and uh, and hang on a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger than than the year before, um, and so all of a sudden we had kind of a magical year. Magical year meaning it was the first time that. <laughs> We had won the division, and we got into the playoffs. My goodness gracious, that's 1972. And it was during the playoffs that you get a chance, and um, that we have uh, a game against the Oakland Raiders that boils down to one of the all-time great comebacks, affectionately known in Steeler history, as the immaculate reception that deflected pass within the last 28 seconds of the game, scooped up by Franco Harris, who scoops 55 yards down the sidelines to score to win the game. And all of a sudden, there was a turn, you know, and we started to win, and then people were uh, feeling, you know, much more supportive about the, about the Steelers. And, 
and so then I came back in 1973, bigger, stronger, again, um, made the team, playing special teams, and it really wasn't until 1974 uh, that I got a break because of what? Injuries. What happens in the game, you know? Um, and you get a chance to play, you get a chance to show what you can do, get a little more experience. And the reason I'm telling you this in context all the way along is that the only constant thing was their ability to watch me grow and change over that period of time. So if the Marines had not stepped in and put me on injured reserve, uh, if I didn't get a chance to, to make the taxi squad, and I really think that was the influence of the Marines family as well. So the, if the, if I didn't have that opportunity to see, for them to see me get bigger, stronger, get faster, work hard, you know, um, and especially in today's game, that might never have happened because we need to have success immediately uh, and, and, and you try to get most out of your player personnel. So it was a period of time that, you know, that there was a, it was an ownership, the game was different, um, that allowed me to, to at least hang on and to be there and then eventually uh, to show I could fit into this organization and you find and you find your niche um, and so uh, my niche there was to be a blocking back for for uh, uh, Franco Harris uh, because that's the way it was set up well you know I'm glad that you pointed that out you know about breaks and when you get breaks and being able to take advantage of those breaks and you know I pointed out at the outset of the show Rocky about your steadfast determination and that's you know, yeah, you did get those breaks, but if you weren't determined or you weren't focused, as you pointed out, those breaks may have turned into nothing. So, well, yeah, what, you're right. Yeah. So it's you know, so it's the same that you know, so it's those you know, it's those lessons that you learn in life that uh, that are applicable in all aspects, you know, of life. So when when you know you, you talk about veterans uh, specifically, uh, and there you know there's uh, transitional periods of time within our lives, and we all go through those trans transitions, whether it be from grade school to junior high, from junior high to high school, high school to college, if you're going to college, or if you're going in the military, or if you're going in the workforce, or if you're going in the trades, and then you come back out out of either college or you spent your time in the military now there's a transition into uh, the real world as they say um, in trying to find a job so it's how you view that transition and how you prepare yourself uh, because all we can all we can provide ourselves is an opportunity that 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 uh, that, that lies before us. So if you're in the military, you know it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn, to be educated, uh, to get uh, a, a degrees or, or just experience. No matter if you if we if we're in for four years or six years or twelve years or twenty years, you know ultimately there's a transition. And I remember when uh, I was getting out of the service and a drill sergeant, um, you know, giving me those little final details. He said, "Now listen, you are not entitled to anything. Remember that there is no entitlement here." But here are your benefits, and here are your opportunities, and it's what you do with your 
benefits or opportunities. Not that you're entitled because you served or that you put your time in here. You're not entitled to anything, but here's what's available. And so that always kind of rang true because we find people that are, well, I did this and I'm entitled to this. Well, really, no. All you're entitled to is the opportunities that present itself and you have to be able to take advantage of those opportunities, um, no matter what they may be. Uh, and, um, and, and move forward within, within this world. So, you know, you learn a lot of lessons along the way, uh, whether it be in sports or whether it be in the, in the military, whether it be through education, uh, just that, you know, you can be the smartest person in the world, um, and, but you, if you don't take advantage of what is out there in front of you and, and the options that you may have, then you're not going to be able to do anything with your life. And so then you start feeling sorry for you, and then you go, well, I'm entitled to do this. No, you're not. And the only thing you're entitled to is take advantage of those opportunities that exist out there. Definitely some great wisdom there, Rocky. You know, let me ask you this. You know, we're going to get to your book here in a second, but let me ask you, as a combat-wounded veteran, you know, from the horrors of war, and, you know, guys like you that have actually seen it have been fairly graphic at times, but what was it like for you personally when you put that first Super Bowl ring on, how did you feel? <laughs> well, I felt like, you know, like anybody else would, I think, you know, is that, you know, I felt excited. Here, you know, I get, here's the epitome. I mean, here's the epitome of your, quote, chosen profession. Uh, so you get a chance to be a part of and contribute to the success of that team, you know, that you get to go to the, you get to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, this is what NFL is all about. This is what professional football is to get to, to that point. There are some players that never have that opportunity and all of a sudden, boom, you're there, uh, and, you know, and, and you are now a champion. I mean, especially in this town. Um, uh, as you well know the stories here of losing St. Paul Steelers, never winning anything, tied into, quote, the image of Pittsburgh, steel mills, darkened, uh, skies, you know, smoke filled, who'd want to live in Pittsburgh, my poor. <laughs> <laughs> you got that right. Well, you didn't just win one Super Bowl. That's how, many, right. how many Super Bowl teams were you on? I was on all four Super Bowl teams, and so, uh, you know, and, and, and then I look back at that career, and you go, holy man, you know, so, you, you know, I got four Super Bowl wins, um, and uh, played with great players that allowed me to have those four Super Bowl wins, um, back-to-back championships, which is difficult enough uh, to to perform, and, um, and you ultimately go down in history as we look back. Uh, as a period of time, you know, the, the ability to win four Super Bowls in six years, and uh, that has not been done before. People have won more Super Bowls, but not in that compressed period of time. Um, and so, it, uh, it, it, you know, it was very exciting. Well, that's definitely a tribute to your teams. And uh, I told you a little story. We're not going to get into it in detail, but I remember – I uh, was able to get into the locker room after one of your games at the old Tampa uh, Stadium. You guys had played the uh, Baltimore Colts, and my dad had known your trainer, uh, Bob Miley, and got us in there. And I remember 
you guys were, were, were it was it was a festive atmosphere. Of course, I was in junior high school, but I collected all of the tape and all of the pads and all the things that you guys were throwing around. I had all the signatures of, and yours was on there too with all of your teammates. And of course, I went away to college, and my mom uh, cleaned out my room, and I never could find it again. And that was before you guys had that great run. It's uh, it was phenomenal experience for me as a young boy, and uh. I just can't say enough, and you're so right. You know, my dad coming from Pittsburgh, for you guys to do those four Super Bowls was was extraordinary and just incredible. And so, and, and so it made you know, so it made a big impact, made a big impact in in this in this economy and this community. I mean, the steel industry was starting to go down in, in the seventies. Uh, you know, the image of Pittsburgh, you know, it was a kind of a losing image, it, it just as the city was concerned, and, and, you know, and so those people all of a sudden, uh, here, the people, you know, could stand up and be very proud, and the Pirates were winning, and, you know, and, uh, and the Penguins, and, uh, and so all of a sudden, it's, it, yeah, okay, fine, we might live in Pittsburgh, <laughs> but, <laughs> The champions, you know, we're a city of champions, and so that be, and and that was fun to be involved in 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 a, in a, a part of that evolution of um, of how people uh, viewed the city, and you know, and then the great thing, and then the great thing is that the steel industry died in 1982, plants were closing. And the people had to find jobs, and so they and so they did, and so they moved out of the Pittsburgh region. Uh, and kids um, who were going to school here had to move to find jobs someplace else. And so, um, although they had moved, they 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 took their legacy and they took their uh, Pittsburghese with them. And so we have a great fan base, you know, around these United States uh, because of because of that and because of that success. And so you go to uh, you know to any professional town, and there's always a student bar somewhere <laughs> in that in that city. And if it's an away game, a lot of times, uh, if it's an away game for the Steelers, a lot of times it's a home game in that stands because the about your book fighting back and uh, i know that it's going to be re-released or it already has been released again and uh tell us about your book and uh obviously sure. it's your life that uh you know yeah, there was the example uh, yeah. of that yeah, yeah, yeah so you know, so we wrote the book uh the book we, we still came out in 1975 so it came out a long time ago uh, and we wrote it, it, it started with a, actually that first Super Bowl, um, and with the story, and the original writer on the book was a guy by the name of Terry O'Neill, who came from outside of Pittsburgh, New Kensington, actually was a Notre Dame guy, um, and about four years behind me, and was working on his master's degree, uh, and working for Monday Night Football, and so he approached me prior to going to the, the game down in uh, New Orleans, and said, hey, I Everybody thinks it would be a great idea if, if you write a book about your experience. What do you think? Oh, what is it going to say? No. I said, okay, fine. Well, let's try to do it. Anyway, so that book that book came out, and uh, uh, it was very successful at that time. And, and uh, it's been in print. Um, and then we did a, a, I did an 
some, some years ago, just in the epilogue of what had taken place from '75 onward, and, and and so on. Things have changed. We still had it in print. We were selling it, but, but, but through this period of time, and this is you know, so I I'd get a lot of feedback from people much like you, John, or uh, you know, say you know, uh, I read. I, I read Fighting Back. Um, that was the first book I ever read. <laughs> we had to write it. We had to read a book in sixth grade or seventh grade or junior high, you know. And so um, and it was a sports book, and so uh, I remember writing. And anyway, I would get more stories, more stories, more stories about the impact of that book. And uh, and then I thought, and we talked about it, and he says, you know, maybe it's time to come out with a, a brand new hardback. Um, of that book and new pictures and refreshing pictures but also really bring it up to date and add a couple chapters at the end of what has happened over the last 22 years of my life and so on um, and, and have it available for a whole new generation for those who had already read it or got it as a gift or read it when they were in junior high now can you know maybe give it to their, their, their kids or their grandkids or the great grandkids, depending <laughs> uh, on as a memento, as a, as a book to read, and so that was our impetus. But also, the, the bigger impetus was that let's do something with the book, and, and uh, so our campaign is fighting back for veterans, and with the proceeds of the book, uh, we'll go to veteran organizations that we have designated to be able to give back to uh, that community and part of my life, and spread the word about that rocky for sure you know is there a message that you would like to share with the world about freedom or the military well you know, you know it's an interesting thing and, and, and so let's go back so let's go back to the vietnam veteran let's go back to that era period of time when that veteran unfortunately was identified with the conflict and the uh
to school or getting a job or getting married and raise a family and, you know, work in business and never really talked about his experience. And I thought there was a, a, a lost generation out there of kids, you know, that I, feedback I get that, you know, one of my dad never talked about his experience in, in service. Mom never talked about being in Vietnam. We never talked about, and it doesn't necessarily have to be in Vietnam. It was just tied into that whole period of time. Didn't talk about where he served in Germany or what he did and so on. And, uh, you know, and I think that it, it, it was really, really a shame because it's not a, you know, and, and serving the country is not necessarily about combat or fighting or being on the front lines or you know, it's about serving your country. And and there are millions of stories out there. You know, whether you're in Germany or Korea, you know, whether you're up in Iceland or um, or stationed somewhere else. And, uh, you know, it's it's about what you did. It's about the people that you met. You know, what your responsibility is. You know, of you served your country and how you felt about that. And all those you know, and, and there was a period of time when all the, those students were repressed and no one talked about it. And so um, I, I think it becomes very important uh, that uh, stories are told um, and uh, that you have a viewpoint of those who served in a different light. I mean, they served um, and they loved their country um, because of it. One of the things I, 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 I feel today uh, is that, you know, I mean, 1% of our population serves our country. And that's 99%, you know, that doesn't. Uh, so we have no sense of what that means. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm one of those persons that, I, whether it works or doesn't work, I, I mean, I advocate the draft system because I think that people need to give back to their country somehow, some way, serving it or being in the military is one way of being able to do it. And I say this, and it only comes from my perspective, is that, you know, I got drafted, okay, I might not have made that choice to go into the service as um, thousands of other fellow soldiers. But I can tell you this, I'm better off for having been in the service and having had that experience and understanding the, 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 the sacrifices that our men and women make, um, that the job they do, the responsibilities that they have, the education that they get, um, you know, has changed them forever. Uh, and if you go back to, you know, if you go back to World War II, let's just say that, and you're 17 years old or 18 years old, and you go back to Korea and you're the same, in the same situation, you know, your job description is that you might be sitting in the turret of a B-52, um, manning a, uh, manning a, a, a machine gun, um, or responsibility of having, uh, being on a, on a board somewhere, um, and, or firing, uh, heavy artillery off of a ship and having that responsibility of being able to make a decision of what you're going to do when at what time. And so we kind of lost that sense of uh, responsibility in a generation today. Um, that being in, 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 in the military has given those gen past generations that, 
that different kind of experience, being able to lead men, make a decision, move forward, being afraid, uh, and, uh, and admitting that to yourself, of, uh, maybe not knowing what to do, but, you know, you've got a support mechanism around you. Uh, and so all those things have, have, have passed, uh, a generation that, uh, I think uh, is worse off not having a experience. You know, one of the things I'm glad you pointed out, you know, was about this repression because it was an unpopular war and those things did occur on occasion. But one thing I've noticed, Rocky, and this is a tribute to to the veterans, especially the Vietnam veterans, what I've witnessed in the last, you know, 15 years is your generation of veterans has done so much for these younger men and women coming back. And it's almost like there was this unspoken uh, karma between all of y'all that, we weren't going to let that happen to these newer veterans. And uh, i got to say, it, it's pretty impressive, and it's, well, it's, it's heart-rendering. Well, I think so. You know, we, we had, we, you know, when the Vietnam veteran came back, and it was just a, when the Vietnam veteran came back, he was not embraced, as I had said before, but he was not embraced by former military people as well. So, I mean, and I say this like in the American Legion, um, uh, the VFW, um, and they were necessarily welcomed or embraced. And um, I might get some arguments about that today, but that's only in hindsight. I know at that moment in time. So for that young veteran to come back, there's nobody to identify with. There's nobody um, to sit and, 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 and talk about their experience. And they didn't have that um, camaraderie uh, in the civilian world that it is today. So now, so now, that Vietnam veteran runs the VFW and the American Legions and some of the other support groups out there. And so they, they believed that they weren't ever going to allow that to happen again to, uh, another generation of, of, uh, of, of, of soldiers. And so they welcomed them back and given them the experience the experience of, of what they had gone through, uh, and so made it hopefully, um, as, as much as I can see, uh, more acceptable to, uh, to, to make the transition, uh, into civilian life, um, and, uh, and giving them places to, uh, get to come to talk to, talk about, find out what benefits are available and so on, somebody that they can reach out to. So, um, and, but that, I think that was the, 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 the driving impetus behind it so that they would that no other generation would have that experience that uh, the Vietnam veteran had. Well, thank you for that. Can you tell us a little bit about Project 22 and, and what, what's the legacy that, you, that you're doing with that? Well, Project 22, Project 22 is a, an, awareness, is a, an awareness project of uh, 22 suicides that take place daily um, in, 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 by veterans. That, that, that number, you know, fluctuates. It's now down, I think, about 20, uh, but even still. Uh, and, that was, and that's what Project Number 22 was all about. Uh, veterans, uh, and not Vietnam veterans, uh, 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 Iraqi veterans, uh, had taken upon themselves to, uh, to uh, travel across this country on bike um, to make that, uh, to make that awareness. Um, and I think it's a, it was a great thing for them to do because of, of 
what had taken place because of the post-traumatic stress. And, and we talk about the young, young soldiers. I'm a young soldier today, uh, and I said the young soldier over the last 20 years, um, that, uh, that uh, 9-11 vet onwards, is that it's, uh, you know, it, 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 our service is made up of, of uh, patriots um, and all volunteer uh, army. So the deployment is continuous, uh, especially those who have been in combat and in the National Guard and Reserve uh, and are regular duty. I mean, they, they, they've, they've gone over on deployments three, two, three, four times, much some uh, longer than that. So that impact of being in, in combat and then coming back and then um, standing down and then winding back up and going back again uh, has... Uh, principal in a financial management company but as i listen to your story rocky i actually in beginning you're in the business of healing now i mean with your books and with the projects that you're doing and you know there it's just a great great inspirational story for us to emulate and for us to be excited about you know when you think of freedom when you hear the word freedom what does it mean to you you know being able to do you know what? You know, if you look around at what we have, I mean the freedoms that we have. You know, we can criticize our country, we can criticize our leadership, we can criticize what took place, and so on. And maybe you know uh, all the problems that we we have, but yet we we're able to we're able to have the freedom of being able to move, the freedom to be able to have an education, and have choices within our lives. Uh, and it's really again back on what you do with those choices. And, uh, and so, uh, but that just doesn't happen overnight. And so it's a sacrifice, um, by people and those who, um, and those who, have, who serve this country. You know, there's so much that takes place. 
that people don't know about. I mean, we are involved in Afghanistan, Iraq, and longer than we have been in Vietnam, uh, in the Middle East, in some, you know, in, in, in some parts. Um, and we have lost uh, military because of it. Trying to get smarter about it, but yet it's part of what takes place. So it just is not free. I mean, somebody has to make sacrifices. Somebody has to make decisions um, to be able to keep our borders as strong as we possibly can. And, you know, and everything else that uh, that, that goes with it on a political front. So, um, uh, and I think probably, you know, there's people that, 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 that consider what, what has taken place that hasn't been in the military. But if you've been in the military, you take it much stronger uh, and uh, have a better empathy for what 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 happens out there and more importantly what it takes to uh, to have the freedoms that uh, that we have and, 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 and share with. You know, if there's a if there's a struggling veteran out there and they're listening, you know, what advice, Rocky, can you can you give to that that man or that woman who might be having some difficulties now. You know, and it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to say it's difficult to implement. You know, it's easy to say that there is help. I mean, there is help out there. There's hotlines out there. There's a VA system. I don't care whether you love the VA or don't or it, you've had a bad experience, but at least there are places for that veteran to go. There's a, uh, there's a, <laughs> every city somewhere has a, a, an outreach program uh, outside of the, the military. We have a, we, we've got several here in Pittsburgh, uh, Veterans Leadership Program. Um, you know, they have caseworkers there to help the veteran uh, find jobs, find housing, you know, and, and work through the, the problems of whatever it is. And most of the time, you know, it, it, they, there's, there's problems of, of homelessness, um, you know, stem from post-traumatic stress, some um, self-medication problems that, 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 that soldier is dealing with. And so it's, a, it's either drug-related, alcohol-related of, of some nature. So the biggest thing is that there is help. I mean, there really is help. Um, but you have to be able to want to use that help or, or take that help. Um, so you're, you're not alone. And, and that's the biggest thing, I think, is to understand that you're not alone. You don't have to deal with your life or your problems by yourself. There's help and there's concern. Um, and there's uh, people out there to, to give you the benefit of the doubt and help you through your problems. But you've got to take the step. You have to determine what you want to do and where you want to go. And sometimes that's not the easiest thing as well. I'm glad you said that, you know, because, you know, it is it is easier said than done. You know, how can we help you with your mission? Again, you know, tell us about how we can get your book and how we can help you with your mission. Um, you, know, you know, I guess helping with the book is that you can go to fightingbackforveterans.com. It's a wonderful website that we have. Uh, and that's probably the biggest thing about the book is concerned. It gives you the background on the agencies that we're, 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 we're working with uh, at, uh, at this moment of time. Um, and so, the, and I think the biggest thing, uh, well, I guess one of my, my, my missions is if there's a veteran, if there's a veteran out there listening, uh, is uh, be able to, to tell your story, to, you know, talk about 
what you've gone through, what your story is, experiences that you have, and be able to share that and share that with your family before you pass and share it with your grandkids or your kids uh, because I think that's very important in their eyes to be able to look up to, you know, a um, somebody and say, yeah, my, my grandfather or my father served and he was here and this is his experience. Um, and rather than saying, well, no, I never, he never talked about it. I, you know, I think there's a catharsis in that that helps the soldier as well as the family, uh, heals. And so it's just that, it's what you're doing, John. It's, it's, it's bringing these stories alive, talking to veterans, uh, and keeping that message out there, you know, going that, uh, you know, we're all a part of the same system and we're all trying to, you know, uh, get through life and accomplish things, but also to have an appreciation, uh, of the fact of, uh, of what an individual goes through, and especially one who has served this country. So you are doing your job very well by getting the stories out. Well, you know, thank you very much for that, Rocky. I appreciate that. I, I you know, I, all I can tell you is that I am so glad that you made it back home safely. And, uh, you gave hundreds of thousands of American football fans, you know, something to root for and something to be proud of. And, you know, it's guys like you that that can sometimes be the driving force between those that are going or struggling through life's challenges. And, and I got to tell you, you know, even with today's day and age and all the stuff that we hear, you are a class act, Rocky Blyer. And guys like you, uh, that your teammates and everybody else, and I know you're a part of this machine, but you, you exemplify the true American spirit. And I just got to – uh, tell you how thankful I am that you know I'm sorry for any of your buddies that did not come back but I'm just glad you came back to give us your story and uh, thank you very much Rocky uh, you're welcome you're welcome and, uh, and, uh, and I want to thank you and thanks for having me on um, and uh, being a part of what, uh, of what you're doing and getting those stories out so thanks John well we'll have this out for you soon and uh, stay on there when we when we say goodbye here and uh, a couple of things I'd like to talk to you about thank you before they burn it down thank you for listening to another episode of straight out of combat radio audio medicine from green zone hero if you liked what you heard then tell others about us like us and download us and please remember freedom is not free and combat veterans are vital assets they're not broken save our song.